0: started here or as they say where i'm from to get started here <laughs> new england drop the Rs. who needs Rs? all right we are headed back to matthew 16 where we left off uh last time that's what we do verse by verse chapter by chapter the whole of the word of god is important to us let's ask the lord for his blessing now, Father, God, as we consider this God-breathed word before us, never having its origin in anything human, but coming down from heaven to save our souls, to set our hearts free with the truth of God, we pray, Father, that you would speak to our souls in individual ways. God, there are lots of people wondering what to do <laughs> right now in a lot of areas and you are so faithful to speak through your word on any given Sunday. Anytime we're listening, with faith, you speak. And it's a beautiful, life-giving thing. In Jesus' name, amen. So when someone says to you, hey, look, I've got good news and bad news, which do you want to hear first? What do you say? Do you, How many of you say, tell me the good news first? Oh yeah. Well, you're going to be upset today because Jesus is going to tell us the good news first. But I understand sometimes it's nice. And in the scriptures, you have it both ways. And and today in Matthew 16, uh, first it's some good news which came last week. I'll remind you. You know, you just back up a few verses and you find out that the answer to Jesus' big question, Who am I? my true identity uh, is that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God and equal to God in every way come down from heaven to save us and he says on this rock, the rock of that confession that Jesus is Lord, the gates of hell, all the powers and strategy of the one who's in charge of death and the grave, the devil would not prevail and so Uh, All of those who trust in him are the church, and he raises us to a new life, a new life that could never be destroyed. And so, yeah, we didn't really need this proverb, but it does say in the Proverbs, no human wisdom, no insight, no plan can succeed against the Lord. I mean, really, I mean... If God is for us, who could be against us? So that's the recap of the good news, and now the bad good news, because even the negative aspects of the gospel turns out to be wonderful and glorious and quite beneficial, even though it may be wrapped in unpleasant packaging. And so let me show you what I'm talking about here now, picking up at verse 24. 21. That's right. <laughs> okay, my one looked like a four for some reason. From that time on, so now we've turned a corner here. Jesus begins to explain to his disciples that he's gotta go, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the leaders, the chief priests, the leaders, the teachers of the Bible, the Old Testament's called the law. Those three groups form the big assembly called the Sanhedrin. So. They are the ones that are going to become undone with Jesus and seek and conspire to put him to death. And that he, Christ, must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. They kind of go together. You don't just kill the Lord. He rises from the dead. (laughs) Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You remember this, right? Never, Lord, God forbid! he said, this is never going to happen to you. And Jesus turned, looks him in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. Yikes. You're a stumbling block to me. You're not thinking about the things of God, but the things of men. And then he turns to the disciples and says, you know, it's not just me who has a cross. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you're going to find it. What good would it be for you <laughs> if you gain the whole world but forfeit your own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? And so that's the text we're going to tackle with the Lord's help this morning. And uh, uh, quite a wonderful passage here. Very timely, always very timely. And so we've turned a corner, as I said, uh, there's a new stage in the gospel that he begins to have to tell them, listen up, Uh, things are going to get a little heated here, because he was born and came into this world to suffer and die on our behalf and be raised to life. And this will sadden Peter and every true believer. Every time we're in those passages it's heavy it's sad, right? Peter doesn't want to see that happen, and Peter's just going to do what Peter does. He's going to act and then think about what he's saying to the Lord as he takes the Lord aside to school the Lord in a better way of doing things. And then And then Jesus says, listen, if the Savior of the world has a cross to bear, there's implications for those who want to follow a cross-bearing Savior. If you want to follow somebody who's headed into some (laughs) turbulent seas, then you're going to get bumped around as well. And that's his point there. So it divides quite nicely. And number one, note takers, Jesus has a mission. He's going to tell us all about it. And then number two, Peter has a misstep, doesn't he? Whoops. Once again, foot and mouth there. Or I should say foot in mouth. (laughs) And then thirdly, his followers, the followers of Christ, have a mandate, right? So three M's to help you remember all of that. So we're going to dive in now with those terrible, beautiful words of our great God and Savior, Jesus. Uh, He has a mission to save the world. Not everybody's going to make it, but he's going to die trying. He's going to die trying. So why don't we put those first uh, opening words on the screen. I'll paraphrase. We just read it. So from this point out, maybe six months to go, to the cross. Jesus is preparing his follow for followers for what's ahead. Uh, he's headed to Jerusalem. He has to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders of Israel. It will end in his death. Uh, he will be executed and on the third day he will rise from the dead. So no surprises here if anybody was paying attention to the Old Testament like the Jews had right in front of them that many of them had memorized. The the very portions that pointed to this aspect of Messiah's uh, mission, they knew it, but they were blind to it, and the scriptures call it a willful ignorance, because anybody who wants to know the truth, God will plainly reveal it. He says, ask, seek, knock, boom, it'll be done. It's when we pretend like we're seeking the truth uh, that we get all mixed up. And so here comes the truth. He says the Jewish uh, leaders would condemn him to death. Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? Well, the Jewish leaders condemned him Uh, The Roman governor pronounced the sentence, but God the Father is the one who pulled the trigger of sorts. It was his idea from the beginning. Isaiah 53 says, It pleased the Father to crush him on our behalf. And so these are words that it will take eternity to try to grasp that kind of thing. And so, yeah, Jesus came to die on purpose, intentionally pre-planned every last detail. Since way before there was an earth, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 says, before there was an earth spinning in orbit, the lamb was already slain. It was as good as done. And so that's a glorious truth lost on the world today. As I've said many, many times, Jesus was not killed for his good work. It was his good work to be killed. And that makes all the difference in the world, because it reveals a couple things. One, what the verses you're looking at reveals that there's no other way that we were helpless and powerless to do anything about our condition. We had Death hanging over our heads. How do you fix that? You don't fix death by being basically a good person. If you've got to die for your crimes, you can't tell the judge. Well, listen, I've done a lot of good stuff too. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. And I promise to be a really good guy now, from now on. Yeah. yeah, yeah no. No. You've broken a law. You've you've con- You're condemned to death. You're gonna die. You know, nothing can fix that. And so that's what he says. He must. He says, I must do this. I must be killed. Uh, or you must be killed. It's a one or the other. There's two things that are going to happen. Either you're going to pay for your sins or I'll pay for them. That's why he has to do it. And then the second thing it reveals is the great love of God, that this is a plan. It's precalculated." please God the Father to put his only son to death (laughs) on the behalf of, oh, not good people who love him. That's the thing Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says. You know, maybe, possibly, somebody might dare to die for a good man. But God demonstrates his great love for us in this, that yet we were against him while we were still sinners. At our worst... That's when he says, you know what? I'm going to die for this person. That's amazing. He willingly, he loves saying, you know, nobody takes my life. Oh, you come to arrest me? He mocks them. He says, are you kidding me? I lay down my life. You're doing God's work. Come on, let's get to it. I've got a cross to bear. So God signaled from the beginning Every last thing Jesus just said, he's already told them over and over again by picture and type in the Old Testament and direct words of prophecy, uh, didn't he? Right from the beginning, saying he'd have to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die on Mount Moriah, right? Which is Calvary. Let me show you a picture of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac. In Genesis chapter 22, where God tells them, listen, God wants his Jewish people to hear the gospel and go, "Uh, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard God the Father giving his only son as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, Calvary? Where this took place in Genesis 22 is the hill. The same hill that Abraham's son, Abraham, Jesus, through Mary, through his human nature, is blood-related to Abraham. He is his son, his grandson. Great, 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 but he's his son. He comes from Abraham's body, Jesus' body. So he's hoping that the Jews would go, oh, Oh my word! Two thousand years earlier, there was an action of our father Abraham, the Jewish progenitor of the race, is offering his only son on the same hill. Come on, what are the, what are the odds of that happening? And then, and Jesus just saying, "Come on, you guys, you're my people." So he goes back to Nicodemus, comes to him at night and says, uh, Nicodemus, no, it's not about the law and being a good boy. you got to be born again. And he starts giving the gospel to this Jewish Pharisee. And then he says, do you, do you remember? i got a picture of it, the snake, the bronze snake. Jesus tells the Pharisee, who knows the scripture so well, and says, let me call your attention to Numbers 21, Nick. And he says, remember the Jews in the wilderness got bit by poisonous vipers. They're dying. And, and, and the Lord tells him, Listen, make a serpent, the sign of a curse. Bronze, the, the sign, the symbol of judgment. Put it on a pole. And whoever just looks at it, they'll be saved. The serpent bite, you're gonna die. You have no hope. Just look at the cross, the judgment. Just look. And if you looked, you looked with faith, like this is somehow going to help me. He says, Here's the remedy. Just look at it and believe. You have to believe that there's some power in just looking at the thing. And that's what Jesus says. You can't be good. You cannot be good. You're not good. There's only one who's good. It's God. All you can do is look in your badness. (laughs) You've been bitten by a viper, man. Look and live. He does the work. He's got the remedy. Thank you for that picture. You know, it goes on, but you get it. We don't need any more pictures, but... He does say, like, Jonah, it, three days in the belly of the earth, and then he rises, or he says Passover, and he's dying on Passover. On Passover, and he calls himself the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the Jews are without excuse, just like the Gentiles, because he provides, you know? And then the prophecy, Isaiah 53, will just... Go at it real fast. If you miss the picture, then he says, uh, the prophet is describing the suffering servant, the Messiah. Surely he carries our weaknesses. It's our sorrows that were burdening him. We thought he was being punished for his own sins. Nope. He was being pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we would be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us have gone sideways, wandered off straight away. We've left God's path to follow our own ways, which leads to death. And the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. So you're saying, well, what every Jew that reads that goes, duh, the gospel. Ah, if they read it. But see, (laughs) Satan, through the ages, centuries, they decided, the rabbis, Isaiah 53 caused so much trouble and arguments and great confusion that they removed Isaiah 53 from the Haftarah. The Haftarah is the schedule, the yearly schedule of going through the prophets. So they stop in the middle of chapter 52, to this day, and skip over the controversial chapter of Isaiah 53 and begin after 52, the halfway point, all the way in 54. And my father said, I never heard it in the synagogue because of this. That's the way the enemy works. Let's censor out the part of the story that would advance the one we hate, like what goes on even today. But I digress, as I often do. All right, so yeah, lots of heads up provided Old Testament prophetic pictures, Old Testament prophecies, and now Jesus' own words. He says, I got a job to do to provide a foundation upon which you can never be accused of any wrongdoing, then I'm going to have to die for those sins and take those sins away. And then no power of death or hell can prevail against you. But if you have your sins, oh, the power of hell and death are going to conquer you. And anyone who's not covered or founded on the blood sacrifice of God's own Son. That's the gospel, right? And so he says, and look at that. Look at your verse. I gotta suffer. I gotta suffer. This is God speaking. I gotta suffer. And do you think the suffering starts with the cross? The suffering starts in what is called the condescension of Christ. It's a theological term that just means, and I've got it right here, a voluntary demotion from one's rank or dignity for the sake of an inferior. So God becomes a man. Isn't that enough suffering? To, be, to find yourself in diapers when you are used to sitting on a throne? To have to put up with all human infirmities and indignities of the human body and your God? You're lonely, you're insulted, you're tempted in every way, quote, but without sin our high priest he was. And so, yeah, I love what David says in Psalm 18. You stooped down to make me great. Wow, what a God. What a God we serve. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So I I just put it out there this way. His suffering only culminates at the cross. Only culminates. And he says, the three groups that form the great assembly there are going to condemn him. He says, I must be killed. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll do the deed. I'll pay for your sins. I'll lay down my life. Uh, so that you don't have to, right? And so, and then he says, and I'm going to rise. Well, yeah, you can kill a human body, and he—that that is the fullness of God in human form. So you can kill the human form, the human vessel in which God dwelled in, God Almighty, fullness of God, Colossians 2.9. He's in every sense God, wrapped up in human flesh and blood. You can kill the human flesh and blood. But what do you got after that? You've got a risen Savior because you can't kill God. You can kill the body. But uh, watch out because he's coming up from the grave. So moving on here, uh, verse 27, is it? 22, wow. All right, so uh, I'll paraphrase. Peter takes the Son of God off to the side and begins to reprimand him. No possible way. This is ever going to happen to you? Never, never, never is it going to happen to you? Verse 23. Jesus turns and faces him square on. And he says to Peter, take a back seat, devil. Wow. Wow. Peter's face. I gotta see that on video. I gotta see Peter's face. You're trying to trip me up, he says. To both of them, probably. You're trying to trip me up. You're not thinking about what God wants right now, but what you want. And that's dangerous. Dangerous enough for the devil to be behind that kind of thinking. Well, I'm just thinking of natural, my human emotions. What makes sense? What's logical? What's protection? You know? But the devil got in there. Now, let's start with Peter's chutzpah. Chutzpah, a Yiddish word, right? Yiddish is when the Jews of Europe, Eastern Europe, the Ashkenazi Jews, uh, their, lang- their Hebrew got kind of Europeanized, and it came out Yiddish. And so chutzpah is a Yiddish word that means the shameless. Arrogance. There's lots of Yiddish words that we know. Bagel. Bubkis, bubkis means nothing. Futs. To futz around means to waste time. My dad was always saying that. And I, oh, I, I just thought my dad was making words up. I really did. I, because we weren't raised in Jewish community. Right? And so it's only later. It's like, oh, I know a lot of Yiddish words, you know? <laughs> to schlub and to schmooze and the stick, you know, all of those words, they come from my dad. (laughs) They come from my dad's people. And so chutzpah, oh, come on. This is all caps, chutzpah. And uh, I'll tell you why. He's all confident and emboldened because a few verses ago... In the same conversation he says, he, Peter, Jesus asks a question and Peter's first on the buzzer. He buzzes in first you know you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God boom And Jesus says, "Bingo, five stars, you get the points, man flesh, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you Peter, but God is speaking to you and through you right now and you could almost hear his head inflating. <laughs> but no worries because when a disciple gets bigger than his britches, oh, Jesus has plans, Jesus <laughs> Jesus knows how to fix that and he's going to fix it good because pride goes before destruction and a haughty chutzpah before a fall, people, that's Proverbs 16 if you need to check that verse out so yeah, no worries Peters. Peter, you're going to get your puffed up Pride deflated. Now, in the most amazing, shocking, abrupt way possible, so the Lord saying, "I must do this," and his disciples saying, "Oh no, you must not." It's got to like Jesus say, "Do you know what the definition of Lord is? Uh, you know, you use it a lot, and I don't think you know what the word means." You know, he says, "Why are you always saying Lord, 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 and then you don't do what I ask?" crazy so he takes jesus aside in consideration what a nice gesture before you let the lord have it just you know what let's do it in in private here so he puts his arm around him how else do you take him aside he puts him aside come here lord let me help you out here so he walks him away from the group and they're facing the way they're walking And then Jesus interrupts him because he said, but Peter began to, implying Jesus turns to him as they're walking away. He turns and faces him straight on, and that's when he rebukes his enemy. Peter's thinking, listen, God speaks to me, Lord. You just said it. Same conversation you just said God speaks to me and he speaks through me and he's doing it right now, I feel it. He's doing it, I've got a word, I've got a word. The same source that just told me, you know, you're the Lord is telling me again. Oh no, there's got to be another way. But unfortunately for Peter, this revelation is not from the father whispering to him, but the father of lies as Jesus calls him in John chapter 8. New Testament scholar Blumberg said, to thwart God's plan for Jesus' life is in fact the role of the devil, not of a disciple. And so, yeah, Satan was really crafty there. He had already tried this number, as I'll get to, Earlier in Matthew chapter 4, when he tempted Jesus, he tried it straight on and it didn't work. So he put it the same thing in the mouth of a disciple who Jesus really loved, right? So the devil's hoping that Peter will get all mixed up with his emotions, his natural thinking, his reactions, his inclinations, and, and see it as God speaking because he feels it so strongly. It must be God, and it seems so right, so it must be God. And a lot of Christians fail at this point. One writer said Christians really need to be better at discerning the voice of God. And the best way to know if it's God is the Bible. The Bible, not our emotions. The Bible. And so Peter is being played like a fiddle here, you know, so the devil can't be in Peter because he's a disciple. The Holy Spirit's in Peter, uh, but the devil and his henchmen, the demons, they're all around, and, and apparently they can prompt, they can kind of influence, they can kind of—I don't know how it works—but they get through to us somehow. Sadly, or they can especially when we're not on guard. And so the evil one tweaks Peter right in the right way. And he says, God forbid. That's really what it means. Uh, Never, Lord. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Remember, five minutes ago, you're the son of the living God. So how can you say, we've got momentum. We've got it right. You know, we can't have a dead savior. That doesn't work right? There's got to be another way, and you know, yeah, we get you, Peter. We're with you. We feel the same way. We would have done the same. I would have done the same thing. I know I would have. Oh, come on, there's another way. You're God. Come on, let's figure this out. Let's do this. But sometimes God allows terrible things to happen. Because he sees something wonderful that could have only happened that way. And many things that God does in this life are counterintuitive to us. God's wisdom and man's logic are are like what did Kipling say that, you know, East is East and West is West, and never the twain shall meet. Our thinking, the way man does life, in God's ways, Jesus tried to say, the heavens are, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways so different from yours. And so I just picture, you know, Jesus turns and faces him, locked and loaded and fires, right? And he tells Satan, go away. That's what it means. Get lost. Get out of my sight. Take. Take, go behind me where you belong. Subordinate to me so that i out of my sight and behind me where you belong. And so remember I told you it happened before. Matthew chapter 4, Satan suggests, hey, there's got to be another way. Stand on top of the temple and throw yourself off and then land miraculously by the power of God and you'll get there through the splendor or worship me. And it's kind of, I own the world, really, since your boy forfeited it to me, Adam, the original one. And I'll, I can give it to whoever wants. Just, just let's make a shortcut here so that you don't have to suffer. But now he puts it in to Peter's mouth, you know. And he says, you're not thinking God's thoughts. You're thinking the way a man thinks. A fallen man, too. And so... Uh, one writer, you're not. Th- he puts it this way: you're not thinking Peter's this way. You're not thinking Peter biblically about God or His plan. Your thoughts are the only thing you're focused on, and what makes sense to you, what feels right, what you want to see happen, what you want God to do, instead of what God Himself desires. You know, and so if we're not careful, that's the way it can go. And so. Yeah, you don't have <laughs> our thoughts and our feelings they come from a variety of inspirations, you know. And so, yeah, just because you can better afford to live somewhere else, does the, is that it? Well, yeah, that's it for some people. But no, is that what God is saying? Not necessarily. And just because you love somebody and you're attracted to them and they're attracted to you, does that mean you marry them? Well, for some people it's like, yeah, what else is there? <laughs> what else is there? A lot. Not necessarily God's will. The way we think about things. That's why you got to stop. Even the good and harmless appearing thoughts like, hey, I don't want you to die. Let's think of another way. No, God forbid. It's being used to destroy the work of God. Something good and right. Something natural to mankind. So stop and think before you get a job offer that's a lot more money, so therefore it has to be God. Really? Huh. Okay. What if God wanted you to take a cut and pay? Ho, ho, ho. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> he just wouldn't do that. Why would God want you to do that? Put you in a place where he could better use you maybe save somebody and Better for your family and all of that. Why would. Yeah, okay. I think you get the point. Let's finish up. Okay, moving on. All right. So the Lord now turns to his disciples. Oh, there. That's the problem. I've been feeling that. There we go. The Lord turns now (laughs) to his disciples, watching Peter get cut down to sizes. they were quite entertained. If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, you're going to have to get used to a few things. Number one, telling yourself no. You'll be telling yourself no a lot. You'll be picking up your cross. You'll be sharing my suffering and shame. And you're following me. Now if you want to, verse 25, if you want to try to save your, your yourself for yourself, save your life for you, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you're going to find out who you really are. You're going, to find you're going to enter life that is truly life. I mean, what would it matter if you became the richest person in the world? You get everything your heart, your simple heart's desire, but you wind up in hell. And tell me, what would be worth trading eternal life for? That's the essence of that last question. What wouldn't you give up? You find out you're perished forever? What what wouldn't you have forfeited and gladly given up so that that wasn't your eternal destiny? Jesus makes a good case here, and you know why he's doing this now? As he gives some mandates for those who follow? Uh, Because he knows he knows it's a tough sell to tell somebody, "Hey, if you follow after me, you're gonna get into some hot water." All right, you're gonna have to get used to telling yourself no to things you love, things you can't live without, you know, that gives you such relief and pleasure. He says, "Oh no, it's bad for you. It's bad for the world. It's bad for your soul. It doesn't honor God. It's not the way things work up here." You're gonna have to tell yourself the prompt will say. Yes, and you'll have to say, "Uh, no, I'm the grown-up in the room, sorry. We've been changed, and we don't do things like that anymore, (laughs) right? That's called the Christian life. So here's some unpleasantries here, the mandates that follow. He says three things, right? He says three things. Uh, You have this new life. You're raised to new life, and so with the new life comes a new strategy, For the new life, (laughs) deny yourself. If anybody (laughs) comes after me, you gotta deny yourself. And so, now, this isn't to get saved. You don't have to do anything to get saved. You look to Him to get saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. Mm -hmm. Done. Now if you want to work out that salvation in a way that pleases God, brings you joy and peace, effective and productive life that ends with a smile on God's face and some reward for you, then this is what disciples do, he says. And initially it's got some negativity, right? So the natural inclination is broken and it will constantly be prompting you to do things that are against and contrary to God's design for life and for you as well. You know, it's that constant prompting that you need to avoid. I wrote in a devotional, I'm pretty sure, about one of my cycling adventures, and I was in Watsonville through the cabbage fields, and Siri went insane. Siri started saying on my GPS, out of nowhere, make a U-turn make a u turn in in 30 feet make a u turn make a u turn over and over again and I'm like shut up, you know? I know where I'm going, you know? And and then it was kind of like a little eerie because the more I turned her off, the louder she got. And, <laughs> and she kept doing it I started laughing on my bike in the middle of a field where nobody had but cabbages, right? And a couple workers in the field. That, and, and it just reminded me of my sinful nature. Mickey, you turn. Mickey, you turn. You know? You know, go left, go left, go left. You know what? I know. I'm not going left and going right here. What? Just be quiet. You know, that's what it is. Be spiteful. You know, stand up for yourself. You know, slap them back. You know. Do this, that, or the other thing because you know you want to and you got it. you've it. you been so good lately. You deserve it. And all of this nonsense. He says, listen, you're going to live with that for the rest of your life, but I've given you the Holy Spirit and if you walk by the Spirit, you will put those things to death and that's the only way you can silence a crazy Siri. All right? <laughs> it's the only way is that you're filled with the Holy Spirit and walking because he's got the power. He says, I have given you to share in the divine nature so that you can escape the corruption of your flesh that's in the world. He says, I'm loaning you the divine nature not to make you a king's kid and give you a mansion and everything you ever wanted. I'm loaning the divine nature so that you can be holy and Put a lid on that voice that wants to derail you into the cabbage field forever. (laughs) All right, so Christ followers renounce self interest. You know, we're talking about denying yourself in the way of things that are self-centered and contradict God's way of living. It's in other words it's doing as we please or serving our own best interests or a me-focused life. You know, the natural inclination (laughs) newsflash is to indulge yourself not deny yourself Now, you know, he wants us to enjoy life. We're only talking about... You can indulge yourself in a decadent dessert because it's your birthday. You know, God's not a killjoy. He's not telling you you have to live some kind of monastic, crazy uh, life like that. He's saying, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I say self-denial, it means the self that puts itself first. First. That's the guy you have to constantly say no to. And yeah, so thankfully, you know, so, you know, he says, forgive those who sin against you. Okay, yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, well, you're going to have to tell yourself you got to do it. Sorry. Uh, you know, when, <laughs> when an unreasonable person asks you <laughs> to go one mile, I want you to go two miles. Well, I don't want to do that. Of course, you don't want to do that. That's why he says you've got to deny what you want to do. You don't want to go the extra mile, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit says you'll be better off if you say, hey, you know what? Can I go on an extra mile? And if someone's trying to sue you for your car, throw in your bike in the trunk and gift wrap it for them. I don't want to do that. I know, but people who follow me act like me, not like a fallen sinner. Amen? I think you got the point. Let's move on to cross-bearing. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so everybody knew what Jesus meant because they see people pick up their crosses in Israel, and when they start walking, they don't come back. They don't come back to their old life. It's a one-way ticket to pick up your cross, and Jesus say, listen, I'll raise you to new life. You won't be the same person. And the life that is born again in you has to be compliant to God's commands. So in that way, you're constantly putting things to death, constantly. And so that's the nuance there, is that 2 Corinthians chapter 5.15 says this, And he died for all? that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So when Jesus says, listen, are you picking up your cross? You know, He's saying, feel the permanence, the seriousness, the complete renunciation of the old life. Like baptism says, most of you, if not all of you, have been baptized in water. And what do you think you announce to yourself? and to everybody else. I died. I died to me first, and what I want to do, and knew I don't feel like, and whatever. Love my enemies? Are you kidding me? Oh, excuse me, that person drowned. Dead. You died with Christ, and you're raised to a new life, a new life that says, yes, I'll be like God, and I'll be kind to the ungrateful, and I'll love my enemies, because I've raised to a new life a different person. That's what they do. But the old one's saying, no, don't do it, don't do it, and you have to tell it no. You have to put it to death. And the other nuance there is that we share in the disgrace of Christ. It was a shameful thing to walk through town holding a cross condemned to die. People would spit on them And laugh and mock and say, hey, yeah, was it worth it? So now, despising the shame for the joy set before him, he bore that cross and then he welcomes us. He says, listen, it's a shameful thing. It's just rejection and mockery and trouble and persecution and pain. It's heavy. It's a heavy thing. But if they hated me and rejected me, and you want to be me juniors, what are you expecting? You're going to enter into my suffering. A mandate comes and tells me, a pastor, to stop listening and obeying the mandate of God. So now I've got a choice to make. Because if I follow the mandates of the government, I can't do what God wants to do. I can't lead people if I followed half of them, if I followed two of them. I can't obey the mandate that displaces all other (laughs) mandates. And so now I'm in a pickle. Why? Because I'm denying myself picking up a cross and following the Savior, whose word is above all other words. It's uncomfortable. But I will continue as that is the call to pick up the cross and follow. Now, he does say follow. Follow through. (laughs) Follow through. (laughs) This is where you find out who's who. And the the last nine months or ten months is a great way of understanding who's following and who's not. Now, just because somebody's not here doesn't mean they're not following the Lord. But you know there are people who have fallen away all over the world who were professed Christians. Oh, now they'll just say, oh, yeah, I watch TV and all of that, and maybe And I'm not speaking to those who do watch TV and who are faithful. I'm talking about those who are using it all as a pretense. Because they're not truly—they're not truly saved. They're not. They don't follow through. Only those who follow through evidence that they have been truly saved. I got a text from a friend of mine who I hear through the years. We've got our numbers. I don't know how we still do. 41 years. We went to Bible college together when we were 20 years old, and we were standing in front of the coffee shop and just talking. And he texts me out of the blue, just like we we're standing in front of the coffee shop, 20 years old, and doesn't say anything. He just, he, he's watching the, a speech last night given, and he obviously isn't happy about it. And he, 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 he sends me a scripture that says, God will direct the king's heart where God wants the king's heart to go. And I said, man, I can't believe you still text like that out of the blue, like we were standing there 41 years ago and nothing's changed. And it dawned on both of us, we made it. We're we're making it. We're the real deal. We got saved. We really got saved. Because half of the people we know from those days at Bible college are gone. Oh, they're on Facebook saying all kinds of things evidencing that they didn't ever know Jesus. Wow. So he says, follow, follow. That's what <laughs> that's what Christians do. They follow through. They continue. They engage. They work at it daily. They struggle. They strive. They walk close to him. They fall. They get up. They keep going. They limp in the right direction but they follow with intentionality and purpose, right? <laughs> so we end up with a couple questions. They're really the same question because, well, actually, he before the questions comes a little motivation. He knows he's not writing the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, <laughs> um, because who says, come follow me, let me tell you all the trouble you're going to have, right? And he does always say, but... But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There's some necessary evils. There's some necessary um, unpleasantries. I mean, come on, you guys. We, We got plunged into the abyss of a cursed world. And to get us out of that, it's no easy task. It's no easy task. And so... Uh, He says, don't be intimidated. Let me give you some compelling reasons to come and follow, even though there's some negatives. (laughs) So he says, uh, reason number one, if you try to save yourself for yourself, I don't want to give myself away. I don't want to go the extra mile. I don't want to give up my darling sins. I don't want to stop drinking. I don't want to whatever. He says, you're going to save yourself and lose yourself. Congratulations. You kept yourself. You found yourself. But you've lost life. Because you can't do life without the life source. He's designed life to go a certain way, and he designed you to go a certain way. And when you say, I'm going to keep myself, I'm going to save myself from the negative thing of letting go of this old life for the new life that God has for me, he says, you're going to end up missing the bullseye. But, he says, if you act counterintuitive to your sinful nature and die to the things your sinful nature just loves, (laughs) then you're going to find out who you really are, and you're going to enter into this joy and peace, and uh, it's a wonderful thing. You know, I have written down here, you can't drive your car to Hawaii you know why it it just wasn't designed to do it. You could try to do it, but you know you're not gonna get very far. You can't turn a screw with a hammer, right? You could try to get it in there and probably yeah, no. Life just doesn't work without the designer of life. You can't live contrary to his commands. You know, I heard a beautiful testimony, and there's so many of these. Uh, The guy says, I used to say, I'm free. Not like you Christians. Oh, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I got to do this, and all of that. I don't have to do anything, he used to say in his old life. And then he says in his testimony, but I was a slave to all those (laughs) things that I thought I was free Right? But actually, no. I was a slave, miserable, anxious, and empty. And then he becomes a Christian, and his testimony is, now I'm the Lord's slave, and I can't do the things that will diminish my joy. And I can't do the things that will ruin my marriage. (laughs) And I can't do the things that will send me to hell. Oh, terrible deprivation, of losing your sins. Who wants those around anyway? I ran into a guy at Starbucks uh, a while ago. Known him a long time ago. 20 years ago. And I said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. And he goes, have you heard? And I said, what? And he goes, I finally just kind of Getting my lot, my act together, and, and finding out what I really want in life, and I said, Well, what's that? And he said, Well, I was so miserable in that marriage, and so and I said, So and so, are you kidding me? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I met somebody on the job site, and I married them, but I but they was unfaithful first, and then divorced the the wife, left the kids. Because he said, it's really like finding myself. I found myself. It was them and God and the right thing all the time. And I was living for everybody else. And I was miserable. Mm, With that attitude. And now I finally, and here's what he said to me. gave me goosebumps. He said, I will never again bow my knee to anybody or anything. And I said, oh, bro, you already have bowed the knee to the worst idol of all, to self. Oh, watch out. When a person, Jesus says in in Luke's version is when you find yourself. You find yourself, everybody around you, run for cover because that person is like, hey, I've been living for everybody else. Now it's my turn. Me, myself, and I are going to rule. Oh, uh, yeah, it's all about what I've been pushing down so long. You know what, folks? That's what Jesus says. You better get used to pushing it all down. That's what he said. Get used to denying self is pushing down those stupid things that want to commit a mm, Mutiny. And destroy everything. And then he closes up with two questions. I run out of time. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What wouldn't you give up if it meant getting out of hell? That's the idea. That's the idea that I got saved from. Uh, because I heard that you know the kind of lifestyle I was leading at eighteen years old would, would is indicative of somebody who ends up perishing forever. That point came across <laughs> to me loud and clear, and then the Lord just really emphasized that, why would you go to hell when you don't have to? and I had to make a choice you know to uh, kind of you know the party life and hell or a different kind of party and heaven I, I chose. The latter, not the former. And I think, you know, that's the worst thing of all about hell, is the trade. It was a really bad trade. And so, amazingly, those who live disciplined lives and, and lose themselves for Jesus and walk the straight and narrow path, those are the happy ones. Those are the happy ones. Free and content. Losing our sins, living for others, putting God first, doing life his way, doesn't take away from our lives. It adds to it. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your great love and your wonderful mercy. We pray, God, that you would take these sobering words and apply them to our needy souls. In Jesus' name, amen.